transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. A little bit of relief at the end of a late summer day. In the year of our peculiar misery, 2020. A few times in recent weeks, I've had to cut my evening walk short because the air was too bad. Getting that hour or so outside at sundown is about the only thing that makes life tolerable in the dumb pandemic and dumb August at the height of monsoon season. Most people who live in the desert by choice simply do not care for perspiring. No thank you. Here's how to know if there's too much humidity. You need an air conditioner instead of just a good old cheap evaporative cooler, the Swamp Box Temple of Cool Air on a hot summer day. Watch the people gathered all around it, their heads tilted skyward. Unless it's mounted on the wall, in which case they aren't looking skyward. Anyway, it's a better god than most of them. At least it does something. Some of the time, when conditions are right, things in your part of the world. If your part of the world isn't the Mojave High Desert, the Morongo Basin, you know why they call it Morongo? Because that's where the morons go. Get it? That's a joke. Some local humor. Some old dingbat told me that a long time ago. I mean, who would? Who wouldn't like that guy? Well, I just sort of looked off into the distance and said, that's the name of the Morongo Band of Mission Indians. Moringa Yam, the Morongo people from the Serrano word for clan. That's what this basin is named for. It's Morongo, Cahuila, and Serrano land. And you should have seen this... Dingbat turned seven darker shades of wino red. I ran into that guy years later and he saw me from across the room and he just left. Well, good riddance. You want to hear something insane? The last native speakers of what's called Pascahuila the Morongo people's language, well, the last of them died just a few years ago. 
But the tribe has put the language together again on computers, spoken and written, so the new generation can learn it, use it in cultural pride. for much of the day if you've only got a swamp cooler our fickle summer god doesn't work if it's too humid and you know it's starting to affect my mind I can't hop over to the bar and sit in the cool, dark air for a couple of rounds before I wander over to the movie theater for a nice air-conditioned matinee. Before maybe meeting up with some people at a nice indoor air-conditioned restaurant. I don't want to be a downer about it, but this is all going to be for the long term. How long, who knows, and when it changes, because everything eventually changes, does it change for the better? Or for, you know, the opposite? As the Arctic Circle forests burn. As the forests of the world burn hotter and longer. As the question of, well, where am I even going to evacuate to? Becomes part of our lives for more and more of us. I want to bring something to your attention. Now, the job here at Desert Oracle Radio is primarily the telling of strange folkloric and historic and otherwise interesting tales of our beloved and bizarre and aggressively extreme landscape. Home to many before us, hopefully home to many in the future, not too many. The American Southwest. But the side hustle, as they say over in the HR department, the secret moral mission is to help you appreciate where you are in the world, appreciate the good parts anyway, all the enjoyably weird little things about wherever you are. The local taco shops, the big annual crop everybody goes nuts for once a year. The way the old Circle K's have some heroic ancient saguaro 
growing up through a hole in the black asphalt and kind of half hanging on. One of the beautiful things, especially the desert bighorn coming down in springtime to feast upon all the fresh greens, the arrival of your favorite migrating bird, the first fantastic days of autumn when you can hike in the afternoon again, or a sudden summer thunderstorm with the smell of wet creosote in the air. Standing out in the downpour, even though it's thundering and safety first, etc. Or second. Don't forget to be alive a little bit in the course of your safety. God knows there's enough of doing what you're told. We have to be realistic about the times ahead is what I mean. The climate situation is going to keep getting worse if we don't hit the brakes and get real smart real quick. Look, I have no doubt the climate situation will be fixed by the same species who got us here, humans. I have no doubt that humans will not only get a handle on the catastrophic nightmare caused by our own clumsy use of dirty fuel needed to create this wonderful modern age, but humans will be able to mitigate this kind of stuff. We should have faith in that because it's a likely possibility. The question is this, does this happen when you're alive or after you're gone? Do we get a handle on the current and future pandemics, a rapid worsening of wildfires and hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding and drought and rapid extinction of insects and plants and animals? And the rapid collapse of an already deeply unfair national economic culture. Do we take care of that now, starting now, immediately, and steadily over the next several years? Or do we let it get so bad, let it kill off a lot more of us, let it get so bad that the next generation or the generation after that has to fix everything and be satisfied with a much lower bar of success. I've been hearing from people who are all planning the same kind of thing, variations of the same idea. They've got a group of friends or extended family or some combination and they want to get set up off the grid, out of harm's way, and they want to achieve this by creating a community that will be closed off to the disease-ridden world outside. 
This is what was happening in the last years of the Western Roman Empire, as it just was not worth it anymore in the cities, especially with the plagues, the pestilence, waves of new diseases like the measles, bubonic plague. The government had more or less crumbled, but it sold itself off to all of its rivals, and then its rivals just subsumed it all, finished off a degenerate and pointless civilization that forgot why it needed to exist. Families were packing up and moving to the country. The wealthy people had villas, vacation houses on the coast or in the mountains by their vineyards, same as the billionaires today. The working class followed them, setting up in small, crude factories that served a villa or two. The city had fallen out of favor. Alexandria, the ancient world's biggest city with more than 300,000 people, saw its population drop by 90% in those years. And it dragged on that way for another couple of centuries. And when Napoleon briefly held Alexandria, one in a long line of foreign conquerors going back to its founder, Alexander the Great, well, most of the city was long abandoned. Maybe 6,000 people were still hanging around. A lot had happened. Tsunamis, earthquakes, purges, civil war, religious war. And by the time the canal collapsed, the canal that brought fresh Nile water to Alexandria, well, there was nobody left in charge. Nobody to get the workers out there to rebuild that canal. You know it's over when nobody even pretends like they're going to try to fix it. They know. And they sure as hell hope that you don't know. They just want to live out their golden years, their 80s and 90s and 100s, and the kind of easy street life they've always had. They know how bad it's going to get. They know how bad it is now. They caused it. Of course they know. But they've rolled the dice and read the cards, and they are at least semi-confident that they will die of extreme old age and excessive comfort while the old world dies around them. While the old world burns. They know where they're going after all this. It's no wonder they want to drag it out. So how do you manage this sort of thing? A retreat from the pointlessly expensive cities where you can't do anything anymore. I mean, if you're not in that top fraction of the 1%, I don't think I'm giving anything away by telling you some of the ideas that people are kicking around. I've got some friends from the Bay Area who've been looking for an old fishing camp, an abandoned Methodist church camp, that kind of deal. Same on the East Coast, where I've heard remarkably similar schemes 
from groups of friends and families from New York City and New Jersey and Washington, D.C. And a bunch in North Carolina where I think some people notice that what's been going on for a couple of years earlier in their own state than a lot of us in the rest of the country If you are attempting something like this and you have figured it out and you don't mind sharing your knowledge, let me know. You can find me on the social media until and I'll get shut down. Let's talk about another kind of experiment that I want to see if any of you would like to do with me. It's called remote viewing. That's kind of a dumb military contractor name for second sight or dowsing or the varieties of human psychic experience. Now, some years ago, there was a guy who was into the remote viewing thing up here in the high desert, and he had a bunch of us doing these experiments, and you can just do it on text by phone. The idea is that there's a target. So, say I take an object, a shape, something, something physical, and I put it somewhere. And that's all you know about it. And then you just kind of think about it and see if any images pop into mind. If they do, if you know about the thing that I've just placed on this tabletop, well, draw a picture of it, make a sketch of it, or just describe it. It's often easier to draw these things because you get the impressions as images in your mind. Images are often more useful than language. So let me know. Let us know in the Desert Oracle Radio Facebook group. You can join that if you like. Or on Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever. Remote viewing. Look it up.
It's all sort of part of the same question, which is, have you ever been on a spiritual journey? It doesn't have to involve the sacred mushrooms that were likely the first plant humans ever worked to cultivate. It doesn't have to involve LSD or whatever current mystical brew is in fashion brought back from the old times. It might be set off by a near-death experience or a series of deeply meaningful dream visitations. states of meditation, or sometimes something that just sets you off in broad daylight. A walk in the wilderness, a lazy summer afternoon staring into space, the sound of bees buzzing around a desert willow, you don't know when it's coming. The spotlight from the night sky that zaps you on a lonesome back road. It might even happen in a church, a temple, a mosque, although not too often, not a lot of religious experiences happen in a church. Not these days. So it goes. But sometimes you see a kid in a library, they were just wandering around waiting for a parent to pick them up and suddenly they've lost three hours, completely engrossed and the librarian is turning off the lights and locking the restrooms and this kid does not notice. But if you get there, when you get there, you know it. You know it and you don't care who believes it or whatever. I mean, who cares if some scold square says, that's just your imagination or etc. Who cares? You pity the fool. Nothing more to be done about it. Anyway, where you wind up is going to have a lot of variables, but as our old friend Carl Gustav Jung often said, the archetypes are old school. They're entities we associate with the past, classical entities of Egyptian goddesses and other such guardians of the spirit world. They are real, and that's why we keep seeing them. You talk to a hundred people who've encountered these guides, these teachers, and the visual and mental impressions are ancient. Although they are completely alive and of the moment. They are not in the past, they just are. The I am. And that's forever. The future and the past all together now and always. experience will stay with you alive in the present moment for the rest of your life. 
as long as you remember it, which you always will. When times are tough, when life is hard and dull, when people just ain't no good, well, it will come back to you and you will receive strength and insight again and again. The insight, in fact, is revealed slowly. You might come out of the zone thinking you understand it all now, it's all so clear, but that's just the ecstasy of contact with the divine. Try to write down what happened, and you'll find haziness in the corners, cobwebs on the words that you form in your mind. It's got to steep for a while, and like a seedling now planted in your psyche, it will grow and develop over time. It's a slow growth initiative, an old growth forest, and every now and then you will get a new revelation. Or Or make make sense sense of an an old one. Hello, Mary Lou. Hello, Miss Pearl. My fleet-footed guides to the underworld. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio, and I am your host, Ken Lane. You know, sometimes people ask me, Hey, do you miss playing in bands, being in bands? And I say, no, I don't. I'm in a band with Red, Blue, Black, Silver. And it's called Desert Oracle Radio. We even sold out Pappy and Harriet's a few weeks back. Before the show was canceled. Red, Blue, Black, Silver composed and performed all of the soundscapes you heard in tonight's program right up until our theme song at the end. That one we got from Pierre Langer. We broadcast on Friday nights from KCDZ 107.7 FM in Joshua Tree, 29 Palms, Yucca Valley, and beyond. Oh, and soon you're going to be listening to us on Lookout FM. Broadcasting from three radio towers in the Los Angeles metropolitan area, Hollywood. Pacific Palisades for the West Side people and Burbank. Lookout FM. We have some information about that on our website. How do we do it? How do we do it all? Well, we do it with your support on our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Desert Oracle. We much appreciate all of you who contribute. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. (laughs) 